All right, if you would be turning in your Bibles to Psalm 96 this morning, we are continuing our sermon series on the Missio Dei or the mission of God in the Psalms. And I want to just kind of make sure that we don't lose any of the things that we've talked about so far. But so remember, <clears throat> Psalm 2 makes it very clear that the king that, that he calls, the king that he has elected to be king over his kingdom, uh, was elected for the purpose of drawing the nations to him, that those nations would submit to him as king. And the good thing about this king that we saw from uh, Psalm 72 is that he has righteousness and justice on either side of him, and he actually loves, because of those things, to the, to the furthest, the furthest most, the most at the margins. So he is a good king and worthy of our praise, worthy to be submitted to. Again, we had talked about that during that sermon series. We're not, we don't easily submit to much, so we think. It's actually fascinating. I think we very easily submit to sin and fight holiness tooth and nail. It's just kind of how we're made up. But then as it moved on from there, um, we, we, we saw that, that actually our salvation is, is a story worth telling. The fact that we were redeemed by God personally in Christ alone, by faith alone, uh, through his grace alone, that that's a story worth telling. That the reason that you're saved is for the purpose of sharing this good news. And then Robbie showed us last week that we are actually most blessed, that it's most evidence, uh, most evident that God's face is shining upon us when people are being drawn in, when people are being transformed by the power of the gospel. That actually is our greatest blessing. And what we're going to see this morning from Psalm 96 is that our worship is intended to be missional, uh, that the whole purpose of our worship is, is to both equip us to go out right, into the world to love those who, uh, who are around us in our spheres of influence, but also to have a place where we can invite them in to worship the Lord our God. Now, I know many of you may be thinking, well, that might be easier if we didn't have all this fancy liturgy and such. However, let me, let me say this. Um, as a former radical anti-theist, it was never the complexity of the church service that bothered me. It was the banality. What really bothered me was the lack of evidence in the life of the people who would sit through these services and seem to be utterly unfazed by it. It was actually a service well-crafted that I, as a radical anti-theist, would oftentimes walk away and go, huh, maybe. Uh, so I want to challenge the idea that for unbelievers, you got to keep the cookies on the low shelf, which is actually a kind of a, a missional philosophy. That's actually not true. Now, let me encourage you in something. If you are going to invite people, right, and they may be, they, many people have never done a confession of sin. Uh, many people don't know what a benediction is. Why don't you take the time as part of you engaging in relationship with them to walk them through our liturgy before they ever show up? On our website, we do have a website. It's like 2018, so we, we, are, we are available on the interweb net thing. Uh, not the dark net. Uh, and we don't yet take cryptocurrency, so we're not quite all the way there, but this is where we are. We do have a website. On the website is a, an explanation of our liturgy in brief. We also have a chart that breaks down what it is that we're trying to communicate every single service with our liturgy. And I want to remind you, it's Trinitarian in shape, so we always make sure that, that God the Father is emphasized before we do anything else. And then Christ the Son and then, and then the Spirit. And so that's part of it. But it also tells the story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Now, we don't have the architecture to tell that story. Although this morning we are in the splendor of His holiness. 
Uh, While we didn't set this up, I think God said, y'all need a little something. Uh, and so he gave it to us. But, um, but, but since we don't have the architecture to tell the story well, right, I hope when the day comes the Lord grants us a building, we will be thoughtful about its design, that it would not just be utilitarian, but it would actually help tell the story. Uh, but, but in addition to that, our liturgy does that. So it's the architecture in time for us. So uh, parents, you need to help your children to understand this. And so take that stuff and walk them through it. Don't think they're just catching it. Make sure to disciple them well in how we do what we do and why we do it. Same thing if you invite someone, take the time to help them understand, right? Uh, And so if we are going to be missional, I do get there's some words that are different. However, you invite an Australian to a baseball game, does he know what a balk is? You got to explain it to him when it gets called, right? Or, or you got to explain to most of the world that no football is the dynasty of the Patriots that fell just slightly last week. Uh, and so we don't have time to lament all that. Uh, but you, ha- you have to explain other things. So it's, it's not, it's not uh, a terrible thing that we would actually have to take the time to walk people through these things. You have the resources, and if you don't, let us know, and we'll make them for you. All right? All right, so having said that, this morning, uh, as we look at Psalm 96, it's interesting for you to know that it's part of a little mini hymnal inside the Psalms. And this little mini hymnal uh, extends from Psalm 92 to Psalm 100, and Psalm 96 serves as the epicenter of that mini hymnal. And the reason that it's a mini hymnal is because it celebrates the Lord's reign with some unique language. It's the only set of Psalms that has uh, the Hebrew phrase, Yahweh Malach which means the Lord reigns. But it's, it's the unique covenant name of the Lord. You can find Elohim Malach in other psalms, but you will not find Yahweh Malach. And so the reason that that's important is that it's the covenant name of the Lord that is being, uh, that is being seen as why he reigns, right? And then it also is the only bank of psalms that has any discussion about him being over the other gods, that his reign extends cosmically beyond all bounds of Israel. And so it's a bigger reign than all that. So this little bank of hymns begins with Psalm 92, which was a psalm for the Sabbath. There are no headings until you get to Psalm 100, which says a psalm for thanksgiving. And so this is what it was an intended set of psalms for particular worship. Uh, and it shows up actually in First Chronicles 16 when the ark comes in to the tent. David celebrates by breaking out many of these psalms, and he he just reads them off and sings them. And so this is an important psalm in the life of the people of God because of what it declares. And so we want to be paying attention this morning to see that the key truth is that our worship of the Lord as Savior and King should be shared with those around us so that they too would share in celebrating all things being made new. Let me repeat that again. Our worship of the Lord as Savior and King should be shared with those around us so that they too would share in celebrating all things being made new. Now, what have you recently celebrated? Or what celebrations have you recently attended and why, right? I'm sure many of you gathered for the Super Bowl uh, and, and celebrated either the fall of the dynasty to some extent, uh, maybe the witnessing of Tom Brady aging as we, as we watched. He did throw for 505. I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Uh, maybe you gathered to celebrate the North Carolina Tar Heels defeating the other evil empire known as the Duke Blue Devils. 
right? So there's life in the veins of the Tar Heels. Or maybe you got together to celebrate a birthday or a, a, some accomplishment that someone has, right? Um, and so, so we understand what it means to celebrate. And oftentimes we celebrate things uh, that are, are often transitions, big moments in people's lives, things that matter, right? We do oftentimes celebrate things that are fairly banal as well, but most often celebration, our gathering together, is for something of great importance. So what makes something worthy of celebration, right? What makes something worth gathering together for? That's something for us to consider. If you would uh, give attention to Alexander McLaren's quote about this psalm before we step into it. The praise of Jehovah, or it's just another name for God, as king has in the preceding psalms chiefly celebrated his reign over Israel. So he's speaking about the psalms that precede this, this bank of psalms about the Lord's reign. Um, and it, it, they've chiefly celebrated his reign over Israel, but this grand coronation anthem, being Psalm 96, takes a wider sweep and hymns that kingdom as extending to all nations and as reaching beyond men for the joy and blessing of a renovated earth. Now let me ask you, if that is true, if the Lord does in fact reign and his reign is characterized by justice and righteousness, and it will be available to every single person on the face of this earth, and it will bring about the renewal of all things, creation included, every tear will be wiped away, everything will be made new. If that's true, is it worthy of us celebrating regularly until it comes? There's got to be at least one Christian here just by averages. It's America. We're in the South. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> you win the prize. Yes, but notice how long it took you all to say something. Notice how unmoved you are even before we can even begin. Right? It's telling, isn't it? It's telling. So let's turn to the text. Verses 1 through 6. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare the glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So as we see, what the psalmist is doing here first in this first section of the psalm is he's declaring that the Lord is Savior. And the psalm breaks up into two parts. Lord is Savior, Lord is King. Notice what he starts with first and why it is that it is important that he's also King. Right? He doesn't start with the fact that he's king, therefore you should bow to him. He begins with, no, he is savior and he redeems. That is worthy of our submission. If we would submit to the Lord for no other reason, him saving us is worthy of our celebration, is worthy of our submission. Amen? Y'all kind of getting it. Y'all saw a little fire in my eyes on that other thing. You didn't want to see no more, did you? All right, all right, we can do this. We're going to make it. So here he is as Savior, but he's saying that we need to sing a new song, right? 
And where does this new song idea show up? If, if you look throughout the Old Testament, this idea of a new song is there, but it shows up most importantly in the book of Revelation chapter 5, when, they, when, when we will at long last sing the song uh, of the Lamb and the song of Moses together, which means the full restoration of all things in Christ. So for us to sing a new song is to recognize that God's mercies are new every single morning, that his grace is lavish and without, uh, we, we couldn't spend it all. We can't even mind the depths of it. So for us to sing a new song is for us to confess that the Lord's salvation has an impact on every minute of every single day. And so there's constantly new things for us to celebrate, even our suffering, sometimes as we gain perspective, we recognize that the Lord had a plan even in that, and we can sing a new song even because of our suffering. Amen? All right? And so this new song is, is celebrating what he has done for us, that we are to bless his name, and we are to invite all the earth to participate, which means the nations and creation together. So whenever you see all the earth, it is both of those things considered. When he wants to speak of the nations uniquely, he speaks of nations. When he says all the earth, it is everything combined. This is the grand chorus of praise. And so he is calling for us to sing this new song before the world in missional fashion, inviting them to join in the chorus. And as we do this, we will uh, missionally help them to see that the things that they worship are false idols. But there has to be something changed within us because if all we can do is come to, to, to people with reason, how many people do you think are truly swayed by a really good argument in this world? Not very many. In fact, as I've quoted her many times, the great theologian Kimberly Barham has said what so many say. I know the truth. I know the math. I know what it says. But I do not care. I don't care. And I can't tell you how many people I have sat before when confronted with the fullness of their sin as they are staring down the barrel of all that they're about to lose. They, in great delusion, I love the way that Scripture speaks how sin blinds and deafens us, but in great delusion, they'll look back and say, I don't care. And if you think you're not capable Remember the words from Galatians 6 that we who are spiritual are to go and help restore those who've been delusioned lest we ourselves fall away. We have the exact same delusional capacity. And oftentimes how it shows up is in our utter lack of celebration, our utter inability to sing a new song because of the Lord's salvation. We are largely unmoved, right? We're kind of like the Pharisees when they come to Jesus and they say, hey, and they come to him, you got to know, after he's been doing lots of healings and resurrecting, uh, he's resurrected Lazarus, and they come to him like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> However, can you give us the sign of Jonah? And you remember his response? It's sharp. Like, we don't, we don't oftentimes see Jesus being sharp. But he was sharp here. He said, you wicked generation, no sign will be given to you. It's been given. If you don't believe by now, nothing greater is coming. So for us, 
the warning is. Oftentimes with Jesus, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, man. You, I, I feel like I'm in, whatever. I've said the prayer. I, I kind of know a few Bible verses. I know a little catechism. But, but what more? I know, you, I know, Lord, that you're sovereign and you say this is the trajectory of my life, but, 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 but what more do you have for me? What more can you show me? What more can you do? Um, how can you prove yourself more to me? As if everything around us is not somehow miraculous because we created none of it. And yet it goes on. The world continues under his sovereign guidance, and that's good news to us. So we, we are the ones who are to sing the new song. How are they supposed to hear if we don't sing? How are the nations supposed to know if we don't worship? And it doesn't move us. How in the world is it supposed to move them? Right? So I want to challenge us a little bit here on this. And I've said this to you before. Um, and, and again, there's, so those of you who sing out, I'm not talking to you. You're doing a great job and thank you. For those of you who who refuse to sing, I just want you to know it has an impact. I just want you to know that the lack of your voice in the chorus of praise that we gather to do every single Sunday is affecting the children around you, yours most particularly, if you have children and you're not singing at all. Um, But also those who visit. There's been times where I don't know what section they've sat in, but it's it's been like the section of the dead. Uh, and no one in that section sang, and they didn't come back because they were like, man, this place is dead. Now, I'm, I don't think it's going to happen this week. We at least got a little something going on up here, right? And so, uh, so just, just hear me. I'm, I'm not beating you up. You may say, man, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. You don't want me to get caught out. I don't know. You know, sometimes when Josh, he'll stop in a place I ain't used to people stopping, and I'm, you know, I'm full-throated. It's embarrassing. Why would you be embarrassed about missing the cue and yet you're singing out for the Lord about your salvation. Be not embarrassed. Or sit up front where no one can hear you. <laughs> Plenty of good seats available. But, but I just want you to know that, that, that we're in this together and if you don't join in, you may say, but Cameron, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know that old crazy old Matt Papa song. That thing ain't in the Trinity hymnal. I ain't been vetted by the sands of the years of time. Okay, uh, but we do put out a playlist uh, on Spotify again, 2018, uh, and you, you can listen to these songs, and if you don't know them, then do the work. Liturgy is work of the people. Get in. Uh, you've got the capacity. So just, just, just know um, that one of the ways in which we affect the things that are going on around us is how, how we participate. If you, during the service, are on your phone, guaranteed, unless you're on the very back row, someone sees you. And it affects them, because I hear about it. It has an impact on you, you especially if kids are sitting around, and you're, you're, you're lost in some article about some political thing that can't wait till tomorrow, I guess, or you're trying to keep up with Elon Musk car flying through space and all that stuff. I mean, think about it. You are having an impact on those around you. Your disengagement is contagious. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so please understand I'm not, I'm not trying to get on you and don't fake it don't, don't be like alright Cameron you want some engagement we're going to turn it up in here we're going to show out no be you be real but, but check your heart 
Are you singing a new song? Are you truly celebrating the gift of your salvation? Do you get the depths of, of God's goodness? Remember what we talked about a few weeks ago. It's the heights of God's mercy are so much greater than the depths of our sin. That is worthy of our celebration. That is worthy of us singing full-throated. That is worthy of somebody actually hearing that. And so, this is one of the ways in which we are missional. We should also be inviting people in, right? We, we, we should want people to, to see our worship. We should want people to hear about our God. And like I said, if you feel like there's some way in which there's, they're, they're not going to connect, do the work of discipleship. Help them understand. Help them get through. Help them to know what the different terms mean and why we do what we do and what we're trying to communicate. This week, I'm going to send out to you because I, I think um, there, there is a chart in the new membership material that will be very helpful to, to many of you. Uh, and if you haven't gone through the newer membership material, you probably don't know it exists. I'm not sure that it's on the website, but I'm, I'm going to send it out to every single one of you. And we'll put it on the website as well. Uh, as a help to, uh, if you do invite somebody or you want to help your children understand what we're doing, uh, I think it'll be, it'll be a real blessing to you. Um, and if there's something that needs to be communicated differently, if there's, there's something that's missing or you need something more, talk to us. That's what we're here for. We're a resource for that purpose. We want for people to be able to get out of worship what is intended. Uh, and so, so please let us know. But remember that, that God is greater than all the other gods. He is worthy of our celebration. This, this is intended to be missional. We should be singing a new song. Listen to what Donald Williams says of this passage. He says, in these opening verses, the new song is our response to salvation. When we receive God's grace, we shout for joy, and immediately our worship turns to witness. Now, let me, let me emphasize, your worship turns to witness whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. You are witnessing. It's like sometimes people, uh, you've heard the saying, hey, if you're happy, something needs to tell your face because uh, it's not reflecting. I'm not saying that right now. I'm just using an example. Uh, so, uh, but, but our worship should match, right? There should be some sort of connection between our recognition uh, as disciples. And this is discipleship in a sense. Our worship is not intended to just be consumeristic. It's not intended to just be um, uh, something silly. It is intended to be thick. It is intended to stick to our ribs. It is intended to show the world that we understand the gravity of our salvation and the beauty. So what are some ways in which your life has changed since you've become a Christian? What are some of those ways? And oftentimes I think because we've been a Christian for a while, we don't pause and think about this, right? We just kind of keep rolling on and, and, and because the stream of life is swiftly flowing and we're caught in it just like everybody else and we don't pause and think about how our life has changed and, and, and whether or not those changes are worthy of our celebration. And should we be sharing that with others? So often we have, so many of you have no idea what's going on in the people's lives around you. There is so much going on that is good, that is challenging, that is in the sovereignty of God. But we remain strangers because we don't take the time to share with one another what's going on. This is the intent uh, of our small groups. It's the intent of our discipleship groups. It's the intent of dinner with friends. It's the intent of all of the things that we, we have 
is to help us grow together so that we can be praying for one another and be honest with each other and be able to be encouraged by what the Lord is doing in each and every one of our lives. Because I guarantee you, for those of you who are struggling, somebody else in this room has been through the, either the exact same thing or something so similar that they could offer you some wisdom and advice, or they can at least come alongside you and say, I know you're hurt. I know your pain. Let me walk with you in this. Maybe they don't have exact answers, but just presence oftentimes makes a a significant difference. Many of us need to hear that the Lord is working because, again, the flow of the everyday, we oftentimes get blinded to it. And so we have a tremendous resource in each other that I'm not sure we're mining as much as we could. I think some things are happening, and I'm, and I'm, I'm excited about the way in which you are starting to connect to each other and serve one another, and it doesn't come through me. And it actually has nothing to do with me. In fact, almost everything that went on this morning before church, the Sunday school class, Greg's class, had nothing to do with me. And that's good. That's good. Those were their their initiatives. Those things, they're trying to bless the church. And so how are we celebrating and sharing with one another what God has done? That new song, that thing that's new every single day. It's, it's, It's amazing to me. Again, I've been a Christian for a long time. I'm now a professional in that. Um, but I am still in great awe of God's goodness. I am still in awe that he would, he would redeem somebody like me. I am still in awe of how that plays out and grows for me even still. It is yet to grow dull. And may it be true for you too. If you would, turn back to the text. Let's look at verses 7 through 13 as the worship with the nations and creation, the the king that makes all things new. So this is his, uh, we're worshiping his kingliness. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name. Bring an offering, come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. So again, the psalmist is telling us to ascribe to the Lord all the good things. Remember the verse that we have often encouraged you to memorize, Exodus 34, 6, and 7, that is the uh, description of God that he gives to himself. It's his self-confession. That should always be fast upon your lips so that when someone challenges the very character and attributes of God, you've got something to say back. Or if you read a passage, it seems out of phase with that. It means that you need to spend more time, go deeper, figure out why it seems to be contradictory to the attributes and the goodness of God. Be able to to reconcile those things in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are to ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, and that is do his name. Remember the first line in the Lord's prayer, hallowed be your name. We are to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. What what is due his name? Is he a God who is uninterested in the workings of this world? 
No, he's very involved. He condescended to us, not just in Christ. Don't forget the Holy Spirit who also condescended and, and reveals and glorifies Christ and speaks only of Christ as representative of the fullness of the attributes of the glory of God. Don't forget the word itself. It too is a living document, something that we should tremble before. We should long to know its contents, not for just the sake of knowledge, not just to win trivia, but to actually be transformed by its words. And he goes on and he says, bring an offering and come into his courts. We're to actually have concrete manifestation of our worship. There should be something tangible that we do, right? There should be something that we bring. It's either your prepared heart or, honestly, your stony heart. That you could honestly come in here and say and pray before the service begins, Lord, my heart is hard. May, may the words that, that are borne out in, in this liturgy this morning, may it break my heart. May it tenderize my heart. So often we don't, we don't even ask that, right? It's okay that we come in that way because that's just true of Scripture. The psalmist gives us the full range of emotions. The Scriptures give us the full range of emotions. Jesus gives us the full range of emotions. We don't have to deny that sometimes we come in hard-hearted. We don't have to deny that sometimes we come in bored, unexpectant. But we know where the living water is. Let us be confessional and say, Lord, here I am, and, and help my unbelief this morning. Help my uninflamed heart for you. Help my lack of ability to sing anything new. I haven't seen anything new about salvation. I can't tell you when because I'm covered up in suffering or whatever it may be that you're going through. Start by being honest because the Lord is good and can deal with what it is you bring. But you must bring an offering, which is you, right? Remember what Romans 12 says. Um, it says for us to offer ourselves up a living sacrifice, to be instruments in the hands of the Redeemer, to be instruments of the Lord's glory and goodness. This is why we do what we do every single week. This is us offering ourselves up. And it goes on to say, we are to worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness and tremble before him all the earth. Now think about this for a second. How many of you um, are, there's times that there's, there's certain kinds of beauty that you cannot take, right? Like it's so beautiful, you have to turn away because either you don't like the emotion that it stirs in you, or you just are so unused to staring upon grand beauty that you just can't take it. Uh, at one time, I was a professional photographer, among the other things I've been in this world. And uh, I was hiking up to a place called Preaching Rock, which is uh, in Dahlonega, or outside Dahlonega. And to get the sunrise in a valley, you gotta be, you got to be set up and there by 4, 4.30 in the morning. Uh, and this was in the wintertime. It was, I've never experienced cold like that and wind like that. And I got there and set everything up. And as the sun began to rise in the valley and the, and the sun's rays were piercing through the mist that was going through the valley, I was in such awe that I forgot to take the pictures to start with. And I'm, I've got tears just streaming down my face. What's interesting about this is at this time, I'm not a believer. 
but I was so overwhelmed. And this was actually, I think, one of the things that pushed me a little bit closer because I could not explain it. It was a beauty that I could not explain, and I could not explain why it moved me at all. If all of this is just mechanistic, then that is meaningless. You understand? And so I, I did finally take pictures, and the light, if you've ever seen a sunrise in the mountains, um, and it's the same, I think, is probably true on the beach as well. The, the, the amount of change in light is fairly rapid. It changes colors pretty quick. And it was amazing. Uh, the beauty that this, this, this went through as the sun was moving across the sky. It just blew me away to stand in the splendor of that place. And we in the same way, so often one of the reasons that we are not confessional with each other, that we don't share with each other kind of what's going on is we can't bear the beauty. And yet we need to be a people who can enter into the splendor of God's holiness Yes, we should bow. Yes, we should move, be moved to submit before it. But yes, we should remain in it and not run from it. And so for some of us, that's got to be untangled, whether or not we can even behold the glory of God, whether or not it is that we either are intimidated by it or we can't bear it or we just don't like being laid bare. For some of you, it's the issue of vulnerability, right? Right? Because sometimes when you stand in the place of great beauty, you feel so phenomenally vulnerable. Whether it's looking upon your children in certain moments or looking upon your spouse and you are just blown away. And yet, some of it may also be that we're afraid we can't control it. That we're afraid we can't market it. That we're afraid we can't make it work for us. What if we could bottle lightning? What could we do with that? So God's beauty is outside of our control. And so sometimes that's one of the reasons we don't worship in spirit and truth because we're afraid of how it lays us bare. We're afraid of what it exposes in us. We are afraid to see all that goodness. And maybe we're afraid that it won't remain. But what does this say? What does this tell us? Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. That which the Lord has created will remain. And when he makes it new, it's going to be a new heavens, a new earth. It's not going to be just us like fat babies floating around playing harps on clouds. We will be embodied. Did you hear what Isaiah 25 told us? We got good wine coming. And Jesus even said, I'm not going to drink any more of the vine until I am restored to you. We got good meat coming that's not going to give us acid indigestion as I have discovered in my aging process. It's awesome. No, it's not. And even the peppermint stuff don't help me no more. But there's good coming and it's tangible and it it will be a celebration. The marriage supper of the Lamb, that's what we have coming. So between the now and the not yet, every single week we get to practice. You don't want to show up at a meal like this unpracticed. You want to be able to take it all in and enjoy it. As we, through time, are given bit by bit more and more of what it's going to look like. And as the scriptures reveal the truth of who God is and what we have coming. And the reason that we can do all this celebrating is because the Lord reigns. And we need to tell the nations that. So often, see, I think we've been backpedaling in the culture um, and I'm, I'm with you. I have backpedaled too. We think that if I were to go out and say to my neighbor, hey, the Lord reigns, he's going to say, 
You're an idiot. I don't ever want to talk to you again. Get away from me. As if the Spirit doesn't prepare the way. As if the truth has no power whatsoever, right? And so what we've been doing is capitulating and trying to say, okay, all right, let's back up. Let's, 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 that Lord Rain stuff, that's, that's bad press. Uh, let's back it up to something a little easier. And we don't trust the things that he's given us. We don't trust the means of grace. We don't trust that, that actually this message still holds sway in all things. Now, I'm not saying get a megaphone and be a jerk. That's actually antithetical to it, right? What I am saying is you need to recognize its truth and let that drive you in your missionality. It was interesting. Yesterday, I was at a restaurant, and uh, <clears throat> I had the book with me. By It's called We. It's a 1920s Russian dystopian novel by Zamatyan. Uh, that's all the explanation you need, I think, at this point. But a guy asked me as I was walking away, he said, hey, what are you reading? <laughs> Uh, this 1920s Russian dystopian novel. He's like, oh, oh, cool. My dad, and just, I don't know, he's like, my dad gave me this book called The Fundamentals of Christianity. Okay. Uh, who's it by? And he said, uh, Spong? Oh, no. Bishop John Shelby Spong? Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. And it shows all the places that the Bible contradicts itself. What a softball. Right? If the Lord reigns... I mean, then, you know, and so we got into this really long conversation where I began with my radical anti-theism and, and kind of walked with him and, 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 and spoke to what he was talking about. And he actually genuinely seemed to appreciate it. Versus if I'd have been scared, it'd have been like, oh, yeah, I got, oh, I got somewhere to be. Good luck with that Spong stuff. If you know anything about Bishop John Shelby Spong, it's, I, I don't know why he's a bishop. I don't, I don't understand it. He hates Christianity deeply. Um, but here's a man who, again, the rocks, are st- they cry out sometimes. Are we ready? Are we prepared for that? And again, don't be a jerk about the fact that the Lord reigns. That's not something you proclaim as if your side has won. That's something you proclaim in great humility because you too have been conquered by Christ. And now you're more than conquerors in him. So we need to live as a people. But that truth doesn't make any sense if we don't worship ourselves in spirit and truth. If we don't sing a new song, if we don't know our own story, there's nothing we're sharing. If we haven't cultivated and know our salvation as good as great. It was also interesting to me, we had an experience. uh, My wife and I went to the Fox Theater and yet another moment where I discovered I'm getting old, too old to go to shows anymore. Uh, we went to see Jason Isbell and the 400-watt unit uh, at the Fox. And, um, and it was, it's, it's interesting because Jason has been sober for six years. He's got this song that he sings specifically to his wife, Amanda Shire, who plays fiddle, right? And so the, the place is sold out. It's been sold out for two nights. It's packed, right? And he starts singing this song, and the name of the song is called Cover Me Up. And the place goes bananas over this song. Now, the sobriety of about... I don't know, 90, 95% of those people was well in question. But they sang it with a fervor like you've never seen to his sobriety and him making it home and all that stuff, right? And then there was this other song that he did, and the people around us were maddening. There's the two people next to me could not experience the concert for texting everybody about how great the concert was. So their phone's lighting up, right? And the person in front of me, uh, well, two rows in front of me, he, he's wanting to just capture a moment, which if you're, 
I just want you to know the iPhone can do a lot of good things, but what it cannot do is if you're 900 miles away, it can't make a good picture. I don't care. So he just kept trying. And so the drunk guy in front of me had a phone that had this little scrolling thing that he tapped the guy on the shoulder and showed it to him. And it said, put down your phone and enjoy the show. Right? So, so there's, the lack of unity in our section was bad. I, I, didn't, I couldn't figure it out. People behind us couldn't stop talking about how great the show was, talking about how great the show was while the show was going on. And so I'm just like, I'm wanting to slap phones out of people's hands and go insane, right? But the guy in front of me, there's a song that Jason does that uh, used to be in a band called Drive-By Truckers. And I can't, I can't recommend this band to your children. Just follow. And so the song is called Declaration Day. And it's about kind of this Hatfields and McCoy type relationship between the Lawsons and the Hills. And man, the guy in front of me, he went crazy when they sang Declaration. And he sang it with this passion and visceralness that I was like, are you a Lawson or a Hill? What are you doing, man? But for him, it was a new song. He sang it as if it was salvific. He clearly did not care what anybody around him thought. It was not dark enough for him to feel that way. Um, and, so, and so what I'm saying is, isn't it interesting that we can, we can whip ourselves into a frenzy over a song that we have no earthly idea what the meaning is? We can absolutely make fools out of ourselves celebrating someone else's sobriety while we are drunk as skunks. And yet, when it comes to worship, we suddenly button up tight. Oftentimes. And you may say, hey, I wouldn't have gone to that Jason Isbell show anyway. I don't do that kind of stuff myself. I'm just saying the culture does. And they respond. What I'm telling you is there is a longing in them to be connected and respond to something. What I was witnessing was worship, but worship of the wrong thing. And I won't go back, not because I'm too religious, but because I'm just too old and grumpy about it. I'll go to small shows, but not big ones anymore. But it was fascinating to watch what was going on around me through the lens of mission, through the lens of the Lord reigning. Um, and many of these people, I'm sure, would say they're Christians. They live in the South. And so where is our fervor for the things of the Lord? Where is our recognition that one day that creation will break out in song along with us? And notice that creation has always been submissive to its creator, unlike us. In fact, Paul in Romans 8 says, it stands on tiptoe with neck outstretched, longing for the sons and daughters of God to be redeemed. It can't wait and oftentimes bursts forth in chorus before even then. But when it does come, everything will unite at long last and celebrate. Listen to what Dr. Thomas Constable says about this passage. He says, The writer returned to his former thought of all creation being under God's authority. He now summoned all creation to praise God at the prospect of his righteous rule. Psalm 96.13 is one of the clearest and most thrilling revelations that God will rule on the earth, not just from heaven. He will do so in the person of his son when he returns to the earth. The son came the first time to save the world. He will come the second to judge it. Therefore, all creation may rejoice. Even the world of plants and animals will benefit from his righteous rule. And it lists a bunch of passages. 
So what are some ways in which you are concretely worshiping the Lord as king? What is your tangible worship? And do you anticipate his return and reign with gladness and joy? Are you moved at all of what's coming? Do you, can you read the news for all the bad news that it is and say, yet the Lord reigns? The world will not be moved. Amen? We should know that above all. Instead of being the people who post ad nauseum on Facebook as if this thing is going to blow apart and never be redeemed. So we need to think about our worship. We need to consider how our worship is intended to be missional. It's not just for us. So often I think that's how we approach worship. In fact, in our membership, one of the things that we talk about is that most of the time, as you go to lunch, your, your statement is this. It's all about how worship affected who? You, right? I didn't, I didn't, I I didn't like that, the way they do that, a mighty fortress. That, that downbeat just kills me. Or, or Cameron, he was kind of riled up. I think he's mad about the Patriots. Uh, or, or whatever it may be. Or that bread was a little crunchy today, don't you think? And the Lord's Supper wasn't as tasty and morsely as normal. Um, we spend so much time talking about us as consumers. How did I consume worship instead of asking this question? which we ought to every single Sunday. So let me challenge you. Lord, were you pleased with my worship with these people this day? Lord, did I glorify you with how I sang and responded and, and, and am hearing your word? That would be a much better question and I would guarantee you a much more fruitful discussion than trying to figure out if we're ever gonna get it together up here. Right? I'm not saying you shouldn't critique what we do sometimes and even bring it to our attention. But I'm saying there ought to be a primary question, and that's not it. The primary question is, did you, what did you tangibly, concretely bring to worship that would glorify the Lord our God? What a question, right? Psalm 96 teaches us these two things among probably many, many others. That we, are, we should sing to the Lord a new song in celebration of our salvation before all the earth and we should invite people in to witness it, to know our God. Instead of waiting for God to kind of come in and then we, just, we can just join in with them after they've already ascended to Reformed theology and all these other things. Second, that worship with the nations and creation that we should worship with the nations and creation. The Lord is king who makes all things new. We should be a people of a tangible hope. Amen? And that means tangible worship. It does. So it's worth you thinking about, and it's worth us as a church really striving to instead worry more about whether or not the Lord is pleased with what we do than whether or not you are. Amen? Or I am, or anybody else. And you may say, well, how will we know if the Lord is pleased? Well, his scripture gives us some indicators. So as people of the book, you should know what those are. You should know that the Lord is always pleased when Christ is exalted and salvation is celebrated. You should know that the Lord is always pleased when his word is made much of. You should know that the Lord is always pleased when we look forward to his return with hope and gladness. You should know that the Lord is always pleased when we are firmly fixed in his sovereignty and his goodness. So may he be pleased with what we have done here today, but we are not yet done. 
we have an opportunity to continue in worship to actually participate tangibly, to see the word made visible in uh, this microphone situation. Always throws me off. I'm going to try the dismount. Got it. We have an opportunity to tangibly taste and see that the Lord is good.